Going back to John 13 for two more contemplations. John 13, part of me was, was dreading John 12 for a long time. And then the more I got toward the end of John 12, I'm going, oh my, I got John 13 coming. Um, I was ready to preach it last week. I had done all my reading and study. I just had problems with my computer and I needed to bring notes. So this week I was able to write out enough of a sermon for the first five verses. I tried to cover at least some of the aspects of those verses this morning, reminding you of those words, John 13, one through five. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself after that. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. This morning, on verses 4 and 5, I noted this. I said, notice what Jesus did. He rose from supper he laid aside his garments, he took a towel, he girded himself. After that, he poured water into basin, began to wipe the disciples' feet, uh, to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So I did that on purpose. Seven actions of our Lord. I don't want to make too much of that, but it is interesting. The number seven, you know, number of completion or perfection. He rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Remember, I, told, I quoted Sinclair Ferguson at this point saying, there's something deeper going on here than Jesus merely removing dust and dirt. He called it a dramatic sign. He says here in the foot washing, he reveals both his person and his work, both his identity and the purpose of his ministry. So I said, in light of that, two things are happening here. Jesus is acting and also Jesus' actions end up being teaching tools. Ferguson said, his person and his work, his identity and his vocation, sometimes I'll say. Same thing, just uh, synonyms. So I dug into that a little and I said, you know what, I think we have a background here. It's the entirety of the Old Testament. This is an act of service for the benefit of us the servant oracles, the sections in the prophets, especially Isaiah, where you have uh, large sections, sometimes smaller sections, of this servant of Yahweh 
that's going to come, and it ends up being the incarnate Son of God. Isaiah 52 at the end, and then the entirety of Isaiah 53, I read that and suggested to you. I think that's part of the background here. And then I said, in drawing out some uh, uh, meditations, I said, the acts of our Lord in washing his disciples' feet show us, shows us at least three things. And the first thing we considered was his willingness to take upon, upon himself our nature. The second is his willingness to obey the law of God in our nature. By the way, is this act of love, having loved his own, he loved them to the end, is this an act of love, washing their feet? Yes, it is. Even that's an act of love, right? Is that act of love in correspondence with the law of God? We would say, yes, it is. Not that he has to wash feet, but that he's showing an act of love to them, that he's loving them by doing something. Is that obedience to the law of God? Yes. Was even that for us and for our salvation? Yes. So I'm saying this. It not only shows his willingness to take upon himself our nature, it shows his willingness to obey the law of God in our nature. I say this quite often. I quote Galatians 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. There's his willingness to take upon us, to take upon himself our nature. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So divine justice had claims upon us. Our Lord assumes our nature, assumes our duties, and assumes our liabilities. And this enacted parable is trying to remind us of this great stoop, as I called it before. The third um, meditation is this, his wisdom. It shows us his wisdom. This shows us these acts, this act of washing the disciples' feet is a display of divine wisdom and the divine and human wisdom of the incarnate Son of God in that he acts in such a way as to teach various things. This is a display of divine wisdom. Here we have the incarnate Son of God washing the feet of his disciples. And it shows wisdom in that he teaches a multiplicity of things by the action itself, his incarnation, his sufferings, his glory, but also his power to cleanse us from guilt initially and continually, we'll get to that in a minute, or, or, or next week or so, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. There's two forms of cleansing going on there. One seems to be the initial regeneration and washing of that. The other seems to be more temporal and cleansing, right? It is, we'll get there. He was bathed, needs only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean, and you are clean. This also shows his wisdom in that this act is also an example to be followed. It teaches us good Christ incarnational truths. It's an, it's an 
obedience to the law of God for us and for our justification, but it's also an example to be followed. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Perform acts toward the brethren that signify your deep love for them. I think that's a large part of the, the ethical injunction that comes out of this, this larger text, and we'll see that. Jesus basically says, if the greater has done this, then the lesser should do it. And matter of fact, unbelievers will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another like this. Doing menial things for brethren, brothers and sisters, simply because they are my brother or my sister. I remember, um, what's that guy's name? Jorge Rodriguez, Pastor Jorge. Uh, he texted me, B, so I respond with a J. Jorge, um, can we talk? You are my brother. That's what I'd say to him. And at one point he says, I love it when you say you are my brother. I said, well, you are my brother. Uh, and I do things with him and for him simply because he's my brother. Perform acts toward the brethren that signify your deep love for them. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, I, as, as I said in the first hour, some people take it as, this as the Lord, in a lordly way, instituting the, a third sacrament or ordinance, the supper, baptism, the supper, and foot washing. I think if you, you realize the symbolism that's going on here, I think it's just, it's an enacted parable. It's an example. It's not a, an imperative. You have to do exactly what I did or you're not obeying this text. I, it, it's things like this. Putting a new roll of toilet paper in the bathroom. Now, I've never done that here, but somebody does it. Are you doing it in order to get to heaven? Hopefully not. You're doing it for your brothers and sisters' sake, right? Um, have you ever been without a fork in that room? If you are, you just say something to somebody and they get you a fork, right? But you know what? Before that person could get a fork, somebody had to buy the forks. Do you realize... There's somebody who buys napkins and plates and forks and spoons for, for, for all of us. I have never, ever in my life done that. It's because I'm, 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 I'm important. But somebody does it all the time. There's a, it's hot in here. It's cold in here. It's not like there's nobody trying to make it nicer. It's like, they got old equipment in here, and sorry, we can't always, but somebody does a lot of, th there's hymnals that are put out and picked up. Somebody makes the bread for us. I hope it's because I love God and Christ and brothers and sisters, and I want to see all their needs met. 
Anyway, I'm preaching before I get to the text on, on the exemplary aspect of this. It's, by the way, Jesus isn't only exemplary for us. That is an example to be emulated, to be followed. Should we follow in his footsteps? Well, not physically, we all have to move to the Middle East, right? Should we try to uh, exemplify him in our lives as far as his conduct? Yes, we should. Is that the only reason Jesus came? No. Is that the most important reason why Jesus came? No. But it is one of the, the implications of his coming. Follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, I think 1, Paul says this. His wisdom is seen in that he acts in such a way as to teach various things. His action in washing their feet is teaching a multiplicity of things. I'm saying this is divine wisdom. Deeds and words of the Son of God incarnate can be pregnant with meaning, the full meaning of which requires parts of Scripture to fill out its details. I said that earlier about deeds and even words that are recorded for us in the Old Testament. Now I'm saying the same thing about Jesus' earthly ministry. Words and deeds of the Lord Jesus can be pregnant with meaning, can have a surface level meaning, but there's more to it, that you don't really see unless you have the totality of the written word of God. You're reading the scripture individual passages through the lens of the entire, of the entire thing. This we have seen in the institution of the Passover, right? I mean, if you just read Genesis, uh, excuse me, Exodus 12, do you conclude everything you conclude after reading the entirety of Holy Scripture? No, because Scripture picks up on the Exodus sometimes and teases out some of the implications of it for us. And when you have that, you have a divine interpretation of a divine act. Okay? The divine act, by the way, occurred first. The deed revelation occurred first, the saving of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And then the word revelation came, describing the deed, and then the theology pregnant, impregnated in the act itself, in the deed itself, takes time, the theology takes time to not to be invented, but to be discovered by us because it's revealed to us by subsequent writers. I'm saying the same thing happens in the act, words and deeds of our Lord. That is, he said things and he did things that if we were there, we just go, I, now judgment is of this world? Now the ruler of this world will be cast out? What are the mechanics of that? You remember when I went through that passage? I said, I think it was John Brown of, of uh, wherever he's from, Scotland, 19th century. I think he said, there's no way the original audience could understood, understand the full impact 
the full intention of our Lord's words there. It required subsequent explanation. And you remember, I went to places in the epistles, excuse me, where the apostles are describing the work of Christ and the implications of his death uh, and resurrection upon the devil and upon demonic powers. So I got my information, my more pregnant meaning of Christ's words, not just from Christ's words, but from the explanation that the apostles gave it gave us in the epistles. I'm saying that's happening all over the place in the Gospels, and it's happening here. Listen to this. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, full stop. You're just washing their feet. They can understand that. What I am doing, you do not understand now. You're washing their feet. Can any of us understand what washing somebody's feet means or looks like? All of us can, right? What's the point? This deed, this act is pregnant with meaning. It's actually an enacted parable. Uh, it's an action that signifies something other than the act itself. It signifies the act, washing, but it also signifies an ethical injunction for believers, right? And the identity and mission of the incarnate Son of God, it's a rebuke to their jockeying for position. If you read the Matthew and Luke accounts, you'll see that. They were fighting over who's to be the greatest in the kingdom. And in that kind of a context, Jesus washes their feet. Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now. Now watch this but you will know after this. Now, some people take this, you will know after this, to mean three verses, two or three verses down. Jesus is going to explain the whole thing. I'm with the, the other guys that I read that said, yeah, yeah, they got part of it then, but I think just like all of us, some of you have heard John 13, 1 through 5 preached before, and yet you heard it preached this time, you're going, oh my, I never saw that. And you've read it a lot. I, if the pastor's right, that's pretty cool. I learned something new today. You already had the text. If you have the text, why do you, what are you, dumb? You have to keep learning stuff new. You mean you keep getting stuff, uh, getting more knowledge from the Bible, even though you've read it and heard it preached a bunch? You grow in your knowledge and understanding the ability to connect dots and all that stuff. We've seen the same thing in the apostles, remember? Uh, but who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus starts telling the apostles, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to be raised from the dead. And what did Peter say, God forbid it, Lord. And then what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Oops. 
What's happening? Peter is still connecting dots in the presence of the incarnate Son of God. Now, when you read Peter or you hear Peter preaching in Acts and you read Peter's letters, you're going, ah, there's a mature apostolic mind there. This guy learned some things at the resurrection and by virtue of the gift of of the Spirit at Pentecost that he, he had the information before but he didn't connect it all up. So I think that what this ends up doing, this statement here, you will know after this, it's not just a point in time and everything they needed to know about this enacted parable was instantly into their minds, but it was a slow development, uh, developing thing. And I think it's uh, also represented in in the epistles. I quoted two texts earlier, one from Paul, one from Peter. Jesus said, in other words, and did things while on the earth that required other events to fully understand what he said and did, like the resurrection, like the endowment at Pentecost, and for us, like the apostolic writings. Aren't you glad you have the apostolic writings? If, if all we had was just the gospels, that'd be great, okay? But Jesus said things in the gospels like, um, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you, the Father's going to send another helper. Actually, one place the Father sends the Spirit, and another place the Son and the Father send the Spirit. Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. And the Spirit is going to help you remember what I taught. He's going to teach you new things, and He's going to teach you about the future. Remember that promise? We're going to get there. I'm going to preach it in its original context as a promise to the apostles to have this special giftedness, endowment from heaven to give them the ability to both interpret the sufferings and glory of Christ and ultimately give us a New Testament. When you read of the apostles in the, New, in the book of John, for instance, you hear Peter saying, you're going to wash my feet? No, you're not. If I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Lord, not my feet only, but my head and my hands. You know, that's the Peter we see there. In Acts 2, when he's preaching, he's quoting the Old Testament. And he's saying, this Jesus is that which the prophet said would come. So that what I just said, Jesus said and did things while on the earth that required other events to fully understand, like the resurrection and Pentecost, and for us, the apostolic writings. There are some things that we don't really get or would never really get unless we had the rest of the New Testament drawing out the theological implications of the sufferings and glory of Christ. For instance, Um, the resurrection, not only of the incarnate Son of God. um, 1 Corinthians 15. We We know about the resurrection of the just and the unjust, and we know the resurrection of Jesus, but as far as putting it together and connecting it with the Old Testament, that waits for Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So 1 Corinthians 15 is shedding light on the great redemptive historical 
resurrection of the Son of God, drawing out theological implications and filling in some of the gaps for us. I am mumbling right now, so I need to finish. But my, my last point was this. Jesus does things, Jesus says things, and there's a lot more to it than meets the eye sometimes. And the more we have, our blood is bibline, like Spurgeon said, the more equipped we are to see those kinds of things and to ask the good questions like, is this only Jesus washing dirty feet and that's it? We're going to say, no, that's not that's it in one sense, but that's not all of it. There's more, there's more to it. Well, may the Lord help us and may we give him praise. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word and these contemplations and musing over, tossing the truths around in our head and trying to, to, to make, uh, to connect more dots and and to bring more of your word to bear its light on the particular instance that we were looking at this morning and this afternoon, that, that, that sevenfold action of Jesus in the washing of the feet. There, there's so much there. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its depth. We pray that you'd give us wisdom, skill to read it better, and then to live in light of it better, enlargen our hearts to love Christ more, to speak about him to each other and to lost people more. For your glory uh, and for the good of our souls, we pray and ask your blessings now as we take the supper together and, and sing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.